This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. Well, I want to start the show this afternoon acknowledging um, what happened in Come By Chance on Friday. On our show on Friday, we had Mary Shortle, the president of the Federation of Labor, on. And her last words on the show was, be safe, everyone. Be safe. And we talk about uh, safety in the workplace. And then something like this happens. It was just a few hours later. And uh, we, the newsroom um, started getting indications of something pretty serious happening at uh, the Come By Chance refinery, which is undergoing renovation right now. It's um, being converted from a, an oil refinery to a uh, biofuels facility. And you may recall some of the news conferences uh, held uh, surrounding that. But eight people uh, injured, six remain in hospital, and an awful lot of other people um, deeply, deeply affected by what happened here. Our thoughts, of course, uh, and, you know, you're at a loss for words, aren't you? Um, We often say our thoughts go out to you, but honestly, our thoughts are going out to uh, the workers, their families, uh, the people who witnessed this uh, horrific event, um, and uh, some of the stories are starting to filter out. We'll find out more about exactly what happened there in, uh, no doubt, the uh, the weeks to come as the investigations continue. But we, we talk safety um, all the time, but, uh, and then something like this happens anyway. Uh, again, um, we're thinking about everybody involved in that incident and all the people, all the many people, who have been reaching out and helping and offering support. Uh, The first responders, we're hearing some uh, pretty extraordinary stories of heroism coming out of that uh, facility as well. So um, once again, I want to acknowledge that, uh, hoping for the very best for everybody involved and understanding that it's going to be an awfully long road for some people. Um, So I just wanted to acknowledge that right off the top. Well, on a separate note, uh, following uh, the Labor Day weekend, what are we thinking? Our minds turn to back to school, and I know that's one of the uh, one of the events that was uh, preoccupying my activities on the weekend, getting, making sure everything is all put together. Because, uh, as you know, students are not always—they're <laughs> trying to—they're living in denial, aren't they, Fonz? They're living in absolute denial. <laughs> my son will not acknowledge that uh, school is actually happening happening tomorrow. He says, it's only three more day- days, isn't it? I said, my son is tomorrow. <laughs> my son <laughs> is actually excited about going back to school. He is that odd kid that now, so he starts junior high this year. He, school starts for him like five after eight. He started setting his alarm last week to get up at six o'clock. So he's oh, well. prepared for, yeah, it, I'm, I got to do a paternity test now because I don't think he's mine. <laughs> I was not that student. I hear you. Well, uh, yeah, my son is of the latter. Uh, he is <laughs> he is living in complete denial. But uh, it, hard to believe as it is, uh, students heading back to class tomorrow, 2022-23. Believe it or not, Fonz, this will be the fourth school year. We've been living under COVID for two, almost three years. But this will be the fourth school year 
that students will be heading into class under COVID uh, or be affected by it in some way, shape, or form. Um, Students heading into grade three have never seen an entire school year without dealing with COVID. Can you just imagine? And while we're learning to live with the virus, it's still among us. Of course, all that is under a backdrop that includes a a new education minister, continued staffing shortages, uncertainty, uncertainty, sorry, related to the possibility that some metro area schools, once operated by or sitting on property owned by the RC Church, may have to be sold off. We don't know that yet. That's not been decided uh, to help settle those uh, sex abuse claims against the church. Well, there's a whole myriad of things that are on people's minds. And here to speak with us about the upcoming school year is none other than NLT president, NLTA president, Trent Langdon. Hello. Good afternoon, Linda. How you been? I'm great. So uh, what did you do on your summer vacation? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> I was able to squeeze in a little bit of vacation, but it's been, it's been very busy. It's, it's always uh hiring season for our members uh, throughout the summer. And, uh, and that, that occupies a lot of our time, so it's been very busy. But uh, but also just prepping for the new school year. Given your uh, your intro there around it being still a COVID year, uh, it may look a little bit different. So you know we've been we've been very busy over the summer. Teachers getting used to that kind of rhythm now. I know it was all a big shock to the system when all of this uh, first uh, came about. But uh, teachers getting used to it all, uh, navigating it. Well, I, you know, I think we've been forced to. Uh, it's uh, it, it was thrown on our laps. It was thrown on the healthcare uh, laps. It was thrown on everybody's lap, and we had to adjust. I think our our, our teachers have done a, a phenomenal job in adjusting and being resilient and making work, uh, uh, make things work with what they had. Um, uh, and I think it, uh, people quickly realized. Uh, I think there was always been a respect for teachers, but uh, uh, it, there's a growing respect now of the value of education in in keeping uh, families uh, supported in in the value in the community, but also the economy as well. You know, schools need to be open for our economy to be uh, fully functioning. So it's uh, the value of education, I think, is one thing that's certainly come come from the pandemic. So the kids are heading back to school tomorrow, but what are the teachers doing today? Well, uh, to be honest, uh, Linda, it's and you, you probably know this anyway, but a lot of our teachers have been in school for weeks. Uh, there's no requirement for them to be, and they aren't getting paid for that, but they're in there anyway because they feel obligated and they feel like they need to be ready for the first day. Our administrators have been working diligently throughout the summer trying to fill positions, especially in remote and rural areas where it's very difficult and just still positions not yet filled. So uh, our, our, our members, uh, they certainly do try to enjoy summer to its fullest because it's, it's, it is a rejuvenating time for them. Uh, but certainly in the last couple of weeks, uh, a large number of our members have been back, and, and again, Again, our administrators have been working throughout the summer trying to get positions filled. And that's right. You know, uh, passing by some of the schools along my many routes uh, in, and, in and around town, um, bears that out lots of cars on parking lots and that yeah 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 and so and that's the thing it's it's a labor of love though eh? it's uh, um, again it's uh, a lot of people or the public generally think that uh, um, teachers are getting paid they should be you know in there during the summer but the way our pay schedule works is that we get paid throughout the year and there's hold back for us to get paid during the summer uh, uh, or that the, the pay periods are done through the summer uh, with the with the hold back uh, so technically teachers are not getting paid for their work in the summer but they there's a it's a labor of love we went into this into this work to work with children, we can't just walk in there tomorrow and and be ready to go. Uh, and especially given the, the changes that, that often occur, occur in the 11th hour, late in the game, there could be a new student that comes your 
away is certainly a child with, with special needs that needs to be considered. Um, uh, many times there's changes to the school, the physical building itself that you were on, uh, you weren't expecting, that kind of thing. Uh, so teachers have got to be on their game uh, right from day one. Absolutely. And um, since last we spoke, we have a new education minister. I want to yes. touch on that, as well as talking about those positions that you say need to be filled. Uh, when we come back after the break, my guest today on On Target is NLTA President Trent Langdon. We'll be back right after this. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. This is On Target on your VOCM. And our guest today is NLTA President Trent Langdon. And, uh, of course, uh, since uh, school um, was dismissed back in uh, June, we had a new education minister appointed. Have you met with John Hagee? Yeah, we have actually. It was last. It was just last week. Uh, you know, the minister had come into a new portfolio earlier in the summer, and uh, no doubt with the new portfolio, it takes some time to to uh, to get things done and brought up to speed. So we met with him last week. A uh, very productive meeting, I felt. I uh, I um, uh, I was reassured that the uh, recruitment and retention of teachers is number one priority for him, and uh, I got no reason to think it won't be. Uh, we're certainly going to hold him to it, and we want to uh, work together with him. You know, we uh, him and the department, because we we very much feel there's a lot of solutions that that are there. There's some ideas that need to be uh, uh, put into action uh, because we can just sit still and, and have this issue every year or actually try to respond to it. And it's not just here, though, that we're having uh, some of these troubles recruiting teachers. Right, it's right. right across the country, from what I understand. So what kind of an approach is needed to, uh, to get more teachers into the fold? Yeah, well, you know, I, this, this province is so unique in so many different ways, and this is, is no different in this regard as well. Um, we've got to find ways to incentivize uh, teachers to come here. And what, I'm, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, uh, uh, northern Alberta, uh, in northern in the territories and so on, they often come to Newfoundland Labrador recruiting teachers, and we often lose some of our uh, best and brightest early on because they're recruited early. They take the teaching positions away at, upon graduation. We need to get those new faces in our system ASAP. So we need to move the hiring process up earlier. Right now, it's, it, the allocations are known, but they're not formally laid out uh, until budget day. And But if allocations are known or what's needed in our system, why can't that process be moved up? That's just one example. As well in this province, we have a, there's a lot of positions around the province that are, are very low in percentage. And what I mean by that, Linda, is you might have a position that's 0.15 of a position, and that's all it is. So to get a person to uproot from where they are, take a jump, move to a, a rural area or to a remote isolated area for 0.15 of a position, no one can live off of that. So we've got to be creative and say, look, we've got to incentivize uh, getting people there, for example, making sure there's suitable housing, making sure there's help with the, the uh, relocation costs, that type of thing. But make it make it attractive, you know, you know, at least mi minimally make it a half of a position and that perhaps they could top it up with substitute teaching uh, on the other end. It's just not, it's just not conducive to, to attracting um, strong people to those sections of the province. Yeah, now, your face and eyes into this, but I think uh, the general populace is, doesn't quite understand. I know I don't. What 0.15 of a position means? What does that mean exactly? <laughs> well, uh, well, you know, obviously, if you take 100% of a position, uh, for example, if I'm a teacher, full-time teacher, 100%, I'm teaching full-time. Uh, so if I get uh, 0.15 of a position, it might mean that technically I'm hired to teach 
one day out of the cycle or if I'm uh, so many periods out of a cycle. We've seen very, very low percentages. And in some ways, those things, those uh, positions rarely get filled. Um, uh, and so uh, ultimately what it means is, you, you know, people aren't willing to take that chance, as I had said earlier. So we've got to get come to a point where um, uh, by investing in positions that are higher in percentage, we're going to attract quality people to those positions. People are much more likely to stay if they have a good experience and they're not just not jumping from uh, from small percentage to small percentage. It, it ultimately means a very, very small fraction of time spent in the school uh, and it, it, it ties them up and it makes it very hard then for them to maybe get another small percentage position somewhere else, especially if the, uh, the communities are further apart. You understand what I'm saying? So it, does that mean that the, the onus then is on administration to try and figure out how to allocate that uh, position, or is it on the Department of Education to come up with a better model? Well, the, well, the, 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 as you know, the uh, NLESD is being absorbed into government. And so right now the system is that uh, allocations are given out by the department, and then it's uh, the school district's responsibility to put those into action. Uh, so we, we've been working with the district up to this point to say, look, more needs to be done. But uh, the department has a, has a role to play in this too. And we've spoken to, to Dr. Hagee about this as well, uh, to say that this is a significant uh, barrier to, to um strong teaching uh, professionals moving to the more rural and remote areas of the province. I grew up in a very rural area, but it wasn't remote and isolated. So I know the value of rural. Uh, remote and isolated is also a great value in that as well. But people are not willing to take that chance and experience it, especially if the percentages are low. So we've got to do what we can to incentivize and to make sure the experience is positive. And that's the only way it's going to work in this province. Our province is not going to change overnight. The, the geography of our province is, is, is quite unique, and, and we've got to respond accordingly. So by incentivized, do you mean pay people who are only getting 1.5 of a position a little bit extra? Well, you know, I, bottom line, there needs to be higher percentage positions. To go anywhere for 0.15 or even 0.4 of a position, it, it needs to be much higher. And we've been advocating for that for years, to have, have better um, offerings around percentages. But, you know, when you're looking at moving to more remote and isolated areas, <clears throat> we know full well that housing is an issue. Uh, I know in Lab West, for example, it's, it's not isolated per se, but housing is an issue in Labrador West. We know that. Uh, and uh, as well, uh, the relocation costs, the cost of living in some of these more remote areas is high so you you add together a small percentage position uh, or even if you have a full-time position you still have these additional costs the, the like I said the relocation costs uh, the cost of food it's it's a it's a really turn for people to take these positions so it's not surprising that we're as I said in the 11th hour trying to fill a position or that position never does get filled are most of those challenges in rural or more remote locations? Yeah, that's what we're hearing. It's, uh, it's certainly Labrador. Uh, Labrador certainly gets a, a lot of focus in that regard. And we've, uh, by the way, last year we met uh, with all Labrador MHAs. Uh, and we, we intentionally did that to, 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 to get across our concerns, but also to hear from them what their concerns were. Uh, because, and they were very similar, by the way. So obviously what Labrador West is experiencing uh, versus, say, the coast of Labrador versus... Um, uh, Goose Bay or whatever, it's, 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 it's different, uh, uh, different experiences. And we wanted each MHA to understand uh, what our concerns of our members were. And we also wanted to hear what was going on there. So we've, we worked with Minister uh, Dempster, because uh, obviously the sitting uh, the sitting minister from that area, and to say, look, we need to work with some bigger ideas around this. And even another idea we threw out is, in the past, there's been uh, institutes offered to train teachers in those areas. Because rather than 
trying to put all your eggs in the basket of attracting a person who's never lived there to come and live there, why not train the very capable people who want to get trained but cannot uproot and move to St. John's, say, for example, to get trained? Why not offer... Uh, there, there once was a Labrador Institute, to my knowledge. Why not reinstitute that such that, that can, we can train people where they are, right in their communities. They, they will not need to move. And then we're just, we're just really uh, promoting the system and we're, we're uh, capacity building ultimately. And in terms of training, I mean, we all know everything evolves, and sometimes it evolves very, very quickly, uh, both uh, on an academic level and a social level. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen a lot of newcomers coming into the province, particularly on the Northeast Avalon. Um, are teachers being trained up, so to speak, to help deal with a, an influx of uh, kids from Syria or Afghanistan or, or, or Ukraine? Well, you know, that's certainly the ultimate question here. We, we've, our teachers find every, every year they walk into the classroom, their first job in the first couple of weeks is to get to know their children. And, and a, a new dynamic we're seeing in recent years in this province, and, and new Canadians have often become into primarily, you know, the, the St. John's area. It's not uncommon in other parts of the province too, but we're certainly seeing a much greater influx right now of of newcomers, whether it be Syria, Ethiopia, uh, Afghanistan, obviously Ukraine, uh, and and they, you know, th- those students are such valuable additions to our classes. But we've been hearing from our members that they they need more support when it comes to professional learning around how to support children that have come, whether it be from a war torn country, whether it be from a, you know, whether the, these individuals, these these students and families have been living in refugee camps, uh, and that may not even apply to certain families. But it just how do you properly work with families to to welcome them to to a new school and to and to ensure they get they maximize their education so it, it is a, certainly a different dynamic with the newcomers uh, separate to that is you know just the the growing mental health uh, concerns that are in, that's in our system right now uh, with with all of our kids the healthcare system is overrun with with wait lists of trying to meet the needs of all of all Newfoundlanders and Labradorians but specifically as a guidance counselor myself I know full well when I referred out to to public health, I was unsure when that child was going to be seen. So those question marks still exist greatly in the school system. The difference is, is those kids come to school every day. It may take a while to get them into the healthcare system, but we see them every day. Well, indeed. Now we're facing this uh, psychological crisis, so to speak, yes, where psychologists yes. are, are leaving the healthcare system in droves, from what we're told. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that must be especially... Um, concerning to guidance counselors, for instance? Well, yeah, guidance counselors, absolutely, to administrators. Uh, you know, in the end, the buck stops with the administrator in the school. Uh, you know, classroom teachers are seeing it uh, daily. They rely on their guidance counselors to to assist in the moment. But day in, day out, teachers are dealing with, with crises. Uh, certainly when we're talking certain areas of the province where there might be one guidance counselor servicing four different schools. Uh, and that counselor may only be on site one day out of the week. Um, there's there's still a bunch of educational psychologist positions that haven't been filled in Labrador. Um, and so, you know, th- this is the ongoing thing. Not only is there an issue around recruitment, it's a recruitment around specialty positions, one of them being educational psychologists, as I said, uh, French as a first language, those types of things. The specialty positions are more difficult to recruit right now, and, and we can't always guarantee we're going to have those filled. But given the heightened uh, focus on mental health not just in the school system, but uh, worldwide in, in every every sector, uh, we need we you know we could lead the way here. We, we've seen successes in other parts of the world. Why can't we take the lead in this province and say, look, we're going to invest in mental health because everyone's going to win. Every family in this province will win if there's an investment in mental health in schools in this province. And 
we can certainly lead the way in that regard. Our guest today on On Target is NLTA President Trent Langdon. Back to school tomorrow. We'll be back right after this. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. This is On Target on your VOCM. And we're back. Our guest today is NLTA President Trent Langdon. Back to school tomorrow. And uh, Trent, you were talking about um, filling some of these vacancies. Uh, Are um, retired teachers being called back to help fill the void? Yeah, and it's just about to call it like it is, Linda. Last year, that was the savior for our system. Uh, if it wasn't for our retirees coming back, very capable, very qualified people who we relied on through for many decades who are coming back uh, and, and filling the, the void in terms of substitute teacher shortages. Um, it's a reliable fill uh, for a position, but it's not the answer. Um, you know, our, our, uh, our hope is that this system comes back into full uh, production where we have uh, active teachers uh, instead of having to rely on our retirees to come back out of uh, out of inactive status and to come back and, and to and to help us out, uh, we need a plan that, that really addresses the long term uh, needs in the system. Uh, once again, I, if it wasn't for our retirees, I, I really don't know where we'd be. Uh, so, but yeah, it's still it's still a concern. And uh, as we progress through this year, I'm, I'm sure we're going to be in the same situation. And you and I have talked about this a lot in uh, past years about um, supports in the classroom. It's not just yeah, yeah. about uh, a teacher at the front of the classroom saying, okay, now turn your pages to this. We're going to be talking about this now. It's also attending to the specific needs of a very varied classroom. So where are we with supports in the classroom? Right, and you know, as an association, where we, we uh, our members are teachers, and they're also teaching and learning assistants. So, I'll speak to them first. They're they they joined us a few years back, and very pleased to have that new designation, uh, not only in the system but uh, uh, as members of ours. Uh, so, they, they're instructional uh, assistants to our teachers, and and we rely on them greatly. So that that's essential. That that the numbers of TLAs be increased. Uh, we value so greatly, uh, even though student assistants aren't our members, we value greatly their 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 work. Uh, I can speak for myself. The student assistants I work with through the years in my school and will be going back to in a few years. Uh, without them, I don't know what I do because the daily needs of children uh, that may go above and beyond instruction uh, are being met by these student assistants. And and you know they 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 bring such a great service of caring and nurturing to to the schools uh, that. Uh, that particular service needs to be maxim- uh, maximized as well. Um, and, and overall in the school, you know, we're talking about, um, uh, you know, secretarial work. You know, when, when there's not enough secretaries and the secretarial time is being cut, uh, our, our principals are having to fill. You know, I've seen principals answering phones, for God's sake. You know, not to say that that's below them, but, you know, is their time better spent dealing with the, the work at the school, the instructional, being an instructional <laughs> leader in that building? Um, custodial, you know, all of those things make for a well-running school and the best schools that I've seen run are the ones where everybody in that building is respected there's ample resources to call upon because I don't know at any point during the day who I'm going to need and at any point I can rely on any of those and others. And of course, the provincial government put together this teacher allocation review committee. Where are we with that process? You know, excellent question. Uh, I was glad you brought that up. Uh, uh, I was going to go there eventually. Um, We've been told that it's it's 
we're almost there. And, uh, you know, at first, first when it was announced last year, it was said that it was supposed to be done last Christmas. Through the de- through delays and stuff, uh, it was it was it was done. Now I got to say, I'll be 100 percent honest. I said this to Minister Haggy with you with while speaking with him last week, uh, that we were very pleased with the process thus far. We felt our teachers had ample time to uh, to be consulted. Uh, they, that's the response we got from them. There was focus groups for individual uh, special interest groups. There was uh, surveys. There was there was ample time, and in addition to us giving a significant presentation as well. So. We really felt we were listened to, or I should say we really felt we were heard. We hope we were listened to. <laughs> and so uh, we know full well, though, you know, that everything that we, we want and, and hope for, for a better education system, because this is not just about teachers. This is about making a system that's healthy for the entire province. Because if, if the education system is healthy, we know every family is going to benefit in this province. The economy is going to benefit. Um, but we're, we're hoping, and that was a long-winded answer, I know, but... <laughs> uh, you know, we're hoping to have answers very soon. We, Minister Aggie has, has said that he's going to, in the next, uh, we're hoping in, in in the next few weeks or months to have um, the recommendations out for us to see, and uh, we're we're looking forward to that. And of course, this will address as well classroom composition. Yeah, so uh, you know, a, a big push of ours in in recent years has been class size, and that's the te- that's the whole point. We we had the the minister commit or sorry, the premier committed to doing a review, which he we followed through on. Uh, we. Uh, because class size has always been an issue in this province, but we know full well there's certain parts of the province where class size is not an issue per se. Uh, that's the that's the approach we take because everyone understands class size. However, it's it's more about class composition. So uh, you referenced earlier all of the different needs that may be in a room. Um, when tomorrow is going to be a big day for our teachers, and they have to assess as students walk in. Many of them will have already reviewed the files of the students that they that they have coming. Uh, they're learning it, and it really takes a while. You can imagine having 30 new faces in front of you and having to get uh, uh, have an in-depth knowledge of each child, and to the point where you need to evaluate them for first report card in November, that kind of thing. So it, it's a process. But if you've got varied needs from a a very typical learner to a to a learner that comes with, whether it be physical uh, difficulties or uh, learning needs or, you know, it could be anything, severe medical needs, all of that combined adds to lesson plans that aren't your typical, well, one size fits all. You need to be uh, turning on a dime and you need to make sure, to go back to your point earlier, that all those resources are available to you. Uh, I need to know that my student assistant is there to cover me off if that child needs to go to the washroom. I need to know that uh, a speech-language pathologist is available uh, to get that speech assessment done. If a kid is having a major uh, uh, crisis, I need to know that the guidance counselor will be available. So it's it's a team effort. This is, this is not about a classroom teacher running solo, but many times our teachers, I, I really do believe, are Feeling like uh, feeling fairly lonely in their classrooms because of the needs that are there. They need to know that they're supported. Right, because uh, every child with autism is an individual child with autism. There's a whole spectrum there. Every Absolutely. child is different. Absolutely. Same with ADHD. Same with a, a variety of learning disabilities. There's a lot of complexities involved. Exactly so. You know, if, if, if I look at a child's file come in, when they're coming in, I, I, I would often review, <clears throat> excuse me, hundreds of files of, uh, as a guidance counselor of students coming into my school, 200 new faces every year. I still had to meet them. I still had to get to know them. They change over the summer. Some of them are, are deep-rooted needs that they have, but they're always evolving. We know that as parents. We know that uh, uh, the children, you know, they might have a totally different experience in grade 7 than they had in grade 6 or 3 versus 2, you know. So it's it's a constant evaluation. And, and 
I think, uh, you know, sometimes we people can fall into the mindset that school is, oh, how did they do in math? How did they how did they do in language arts and so on? But it's it's really an evaluation of the person. The social emotional needs of these children are forever evolving. We need to evaluate that. We need to make sure they're they're maximized uh, in terms of, or we're maximizing our supports to them day in day out, such that they can get to the math and to the language arts. So it's a uh, you know it's 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 much deeper. It's a holistic approach that's needed. And if there's any gaps in the system, which we know there are, that. Uh, level of education or the degree of support that that child is getting is going to be uh, is going to be limited. And having that basic knowledge, uh, um, did the child um, lose someone close to them over the course of the summer? Have their parents Absolutely. split? Um, you know, are they in um, uh, uh, care? You know, all of these things. I, I think that's the greatest asset of, of being a, or the greatest asset a teacher can offer to a family is that and I, I I would often stand in the hallway when students were coming in and I know teachers regularly do this as well other teachers stand in their doorway as kids I could tell as soon as they walked through the door there's something not right with so and so today I can't put my thumb on it they may want to talk about it they may not but just you are a daily gauge for that that uh, student there's times they wouldn't share anything but I would pick up the phone and call and the parents say look so-and-so seems off today. Don't know if you have anything to share. And our teachers are doing that regularly. The the behind-the-scenes stuff that our teachers are doing, um, and I know there's a lot of professionals out there that do similar work, but our teachers see our children every single day during the school year. And uh, they are the gauge. And their their analysis of what's going on day and day, like I, you know, my children are still in school. I rely if that if, if, if my kids are struggling in school, I need to know about that. And so when a teacher picks up the phone or whips me an email to say, uh, you know, so and so may be struggling, that means the world to me. And so I know the value of that to other parents, and I try to replicate that as well. And But that's the value of education. You just nailed it, Linda, is that day in, day out, we gauge children's progress, and it's not just mathematics and language arts. How important is it to have that support on the other side, so to speak, a connection with a guardian or a parent or, or, or someone who is caring for the child or close to the child? Oh, you can't put a price on it. It's when when those, you know, and no doubt there's families that struggle. And, and, you know, first when they come in, they may disagree with the approaches that have been taken. And, you know, in the end, we work things through, we work it out. Uh, but just having a, a parent come in who's willing to talk through the issue, uh, who is available uh, when need be, uh, you know, we're, we're problem solvers as teachers. We do what we can to make it work with what we have. And we, and we always have. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that, the school system is totally in need because there's a lot of good going on. There's a lot of good just around, uh, as an example, the support for our LGBT plus community in our schools. A lot of good work being done in that regard. The welcoming feel, the the support. Is there more work that needs to be done? Absolutely so. But that's just one example. So I, I'm certainly not going to sit here and say that uh, we're in crises in the school system, but we are in a situation where the resourcing needs to be maximized. We our guidance counselors need to be more of them. There need to be more more there needs to be more administrative time. Our class sizes need to be smaller such that we can go back to your point earlier of knowing kids where they are every single day when they come in such that we can assist and and inform parents if need be. And the dynamics within the classroom. I'm thinking in terms of uh, bullying or kids that are not yeah. getting along. Yeah, and you know, it's, I've sat in just through my career on a lot of different uh, 
I guess, case conferences and so on where kids have not been getting along or a child is actually being being bullied. You know, conflict is one thing where a kid, two kids get in a fight. If it's a chronic issue where a kid is actually being bullied, that that's when it becomes really complicated. Uh, and, and But if if there's lesser kids in those rooms, if there's more work that can be done around the prevention piece of, of building team in that in that room, of building community in that room, of building social emotional care in that room, or working individually with children to get their skills up to up to par, it's, it's it's common sense really. The lesser numbers that are there to work, the ratios, if they're in a, in a better situation, you know we're going to have a better a better opportunity for impact. And that's not to say that the school year is going to be perfect because it will never be. There's always you know it's human nature to have conflict. It's human nature for for kids to be learning and try different things and to be curious you know it's a given uh, but if, if we maximize the adult support in those in those buildings as they say it takes a village right so if everybody in that building in addition to the support of the families have got their circle of support around these children it's going to be a much more successful year and and overall education for that for that student and for that community my guest today on on target is NLTA president Trent Langdon we'll be back right after this Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. This is On Target on your VOCM. Our guest today on On Target is NLTA President Trent Langdon. Of course, we're talking because we're back to school tomorrow. And Trent, of course, when COVID struck, the primary focus shifted to wellness, safety, ensuring the kids were uh, okay. Um, But before COVID, the Premier's Task Force on Improving Educational Outcomes report was released Mm -hmm. um, with the aim to make us more competitive with other jurisdictions when it came to, uh, you know, academics and and our outcomes. Are are those recommendations and goals uh, still being addressed or do we need to revisit that process? Well, absolutely. And it's uh, right now, I, I, I don't think we can become too complacent. What I mean by that is, is, uh, first of all, around COVID and flu season and stuff, we we got to do what we can to make sure that our schools remain operational. That's that's number one. But number two, we we can't we can't push too quickly. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's there's a lot of different initiatives, a lot of different changes to curriculum and so on that are always coming into pipes. So our uh, recommendations to to the school district and which will, well, the the French school district will remain Conseil, uh, but. Um, when, when NLESD is absorbed in the government, is that let's do things uh, according to a, a, a launch plan that is going to be successful for, for, uh, for schools. Because right now what I hear from teachers is that it's too much too quickly. And the, I think the worst thing we can do now is to push our schools and, and our teachers, but ultimately push our students to try new things and to, and to bring in new initiatives that when we're not even ready to, to really reinstitute everything back to where it once was. And I, so the biggest recommendation, as I'd said to government, is, is let's do this. Let's work together. Let's make sure that this reopening, so to speak, is done in such a way that we don't overwhelm people. We're not guaranteed how the fall is going to look. Uh, the operate, keeping schools open is number one, by far number one. And whatever it takes to do that uh, is going to be the number one uh, goal from, from my angle. And we're hearing from teachers the same thing because it's, everything else bec- it becomes second when, it, number one, a school is open. But it, it becomes second if stress is too high. And is that one of the major concerns of, of teachers now heading into this new school year where we still have this uncertainty uh, surrounding us? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's always been a concern, you know, even pre-COVID is that uh, new initiatives, changes, um, add-ons, uh, you know, 
in the end, we need to teach curriculum. And it's, it's, it's fine to say there's going to be a new program or a new plan or a new approach, uh, but it needs to be launched in such a way that's conducive to operations, to practical operations in our school. Uh, no matter what happens if a new program comes in, oftentimes it's layered on what already currently exists. And you can't get blood from a turnip. There's only so much time in the run of a school day. And I've heard regularly, and I've experienced it myself, I've re- heard regularly from teachers, it's a constant, that there's just too much coming at them in terms of new ideas, new plans, new projects, that we need to focus on the basics first. And then uh, in addition to that, uh, obviously the COVID layer has brought the need for a solid social-emotional foundation. When things stabilize because I don't think we're stabilized yet. We need to stabilize first and then look at some new changes if 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 that's where the department sees it, but those new changes need to be strategically launched and such that it doesn't becoming all become overwhelming for the schools. Um when it comes to curriculum, uh, how much leeway do do teachers have? Because I've have heard teachers in the yep. past say, you know, we were working on this, uh, we had to try and uh, deal with this, but uh, I have to be honest, most of the kids didn't get it, and we still had to move on because the, we had to follow the curriculum. Well, that's the ultimate education question right now, worldwide, really is. Are we are we moving too quickly? Are kids uh, mastering their the different levels before we move on? Everyone's at a different level in the class. That's the other angle, as we just talked about uh, a few minutes ago, is that not everyone is going to master that particular level, and not everybody can move on as quickly as others. So teachers are always adjusting. So it's uh, uh, right now again. Let's I think we need to rewind. Let's stabilize the system. Let's make sure that people are comfortable where they are. Let's get the basics moving, and any major change to pedagogy or approach or or curriculum needs to be kind of held and put to the side. There will be plenty of time for that down the road. You know, our kids are number one here, and we need to make sure that they're as stable as possible, Uh, especially now that we we do have some semblance of of normalcy this year. I hesitate to say it, but relative to other years, I should say the last three years. Are you comfortable now? Are your members comfortable with, you know, COVID protocols and the like? Uh, I think it depends on who you speak to. I'll, I'll be honest. Some people are still very anxious. Uh, I, hear, I hear from them uh, about uh, you know their own individual circumstances of of being in in. You know, we've often said that our schools are the busiest places in this province right now because others you can go to by choice for the most part. But our schools are jam packed day in day, out, and we know COVID is still there. So we have still have a lot of of our members that are anxious. We have other members on the other end of the spectrum who are totally ready to go in. They're totally comfortable, but their life circumstance allows it such that they can go in freely and then they don't have to worry about bringing you know that uh, the virus back to a, an elderly family member or to an immunocompromised family member or even themselves right so it's mixed emotions uh, as an association we we are uh, still uh, we're following public health guidelines and we always have and uh, it's it's around you know we we are still recommending masking uh, again some of our members will not be masking others will uh, and that's their personal choice um, uh, so you know those those types of approaches are, are, are very important. We're working with government to make sure that they're maximizing um, air purification measures, that uh, ventilation is being focused upon, uh, that just common sense measures are being taken. Uh, take away COVID, flu season still strikes us. So, you know, it's, 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 let's, let's not get complacent here. Let's, let's, accept uh, this year for what it is. It's it's good to be in this position that we're open uh, opening up without a masking mandate. Uh, we are, uh, we've had a good summer weather-wise, so there should be some, a little bit more relaxation going into this year, but there, there's, there's still some hesitation out there about, uh, about going back into that type of workplace, you know. 
We've got uh, about a minute and a half left. Um, sure. It's it's an exciting time, no doubt. There's going to be an awful lot of uh, uh, excited kids out there tomorrow, big smiles in their faces. I know they're a little disappointed we had this wonderful summer coming to an end, but uh, what's your final thoughts to uh, teachers and students? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I would like nothing more than to, to wish nothing but the best uh, to to all of the uh, all the teachers out there, all the students. Uh, it is a very exciting time to be coming back. Uh, embrace it. Enjoy every moment of it. Be you know, enjoy being together once again. Um, uh, let's let's be safe in doing so. We want the school year to continue. We want all the sporting, music events to come back full fledged. That's where the memories are built. That's where true growth happens. I know myself. That's what I'll always remember in school. It wasn't necessarily being taught. Uh, fractions um, and and you know let's just let's just be very practical about how we how we return to school and let's not be complacent uh, it's it's let's stay as positive as possible with with some common sense uh, and I just like to end by saying uh, kind of how you started there Linda is that uh, our best wishes certainly go out to the families and, and workers in come by chance uh, we know full well, and as a guidance counselor, I know full well the impact that kind of event can have on a community. So our our hearts and best wishes are with the, with the families there and with the, with the school community as they reopen tomorrow. Trent Langdon, I appreciate your time as always. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity, Linda. Take care. Alrighty, and we'll be back tomorrow. If I'm not mistaken, we're gonna go into space. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and have a great day tomorrow.